to the econ for You podcast series. I'm your host, Sanjana, and the aim of my podcast is to interview professionals of different industries in order to understand how we can develop our economy for the better. Be sure to give the Instagram and Twitter at EFY Podcasts a follow for future updates. So today I'm delighted to introduce Brett Hennig, author of The End of Politicians and director of the Sortition Foundation. So Brett, could you just briefly introduce yourself and your role? Yes, I'm Brett Hennig. I'm uh, actually Australian, but I live in Budapest in Hungary, uh, and I co-founded the Sortition Foundation in Cambridge in the UK. Uh, We, at the moment, uh, help deliver citizens' assemblies, which involves randomly selecting people and bringing them together in an informed, deliberative environment to talk about uh, current issues such as the UK Climate Assembly, also in Scotland, the Scottish Parliament's having a Climate Assembly soon, and various other topics as well, such as uh, traffic congestion in Cambridge or uh, hate crime in London, uh, lots of different topics. Okay, so could you explain exactly what sortition is and how and why it's better than the existing ways that political decisions are made? That could be a very long discussion. <laughs> but, as briefly uh, as you can. <laughs> I mean, it, it, sortition is just a technical name for random selection. So it's actually the use of random selection to um, fill political posts. So in ancient Athens, many people don't know, but uh, sortition was regularly used to fill the vast majority of political posts in the so-called birthplace of democracy. Um, In the modern day uh, equivalent, they're randomly selecting people to bring them together to talk about political topics. Now, why, why would you want to randomly select people Well, one is that you can actually get a a demographic sample. So you can actually make sure that the room of people talking about the topic is actually a microcosm of society. So, you know, there will be lots of young people in the room, there'll be half men, half women, et cetera, et cetera. Um, This means that you actually find out what uh, an informed sample of people mean and what you avoid is the kind of lobbying or stacking that you can see. If you have an open meeting and say, who wants to talk about climate change, then of course you get all the activists and you potentially get uh, business lobbyists or climate change deniers or something. Whereas if you randomly select people and put them in a room, they typically uh, are more uh, open to having a, a, a respectful discussion in an informed environment, they're, they're more likely to change their opinion as a result of those informed discussions rather than people who uh, have already solidified their, their opinions. So the, the main benefits are around that uh, avoiding uh, corruption and the fact and sort of lobbying and vested interests pulling decisions away from what uh, an informed decision will be. Um, it's And it's better than, say, a referendum in the fact that it's informed deliberation. It's not just what people think without having to actually try to justify their opinion or without actually having to listen to experts who are there, of course, the experts can give information or other stakeholders, but they have no power in the end. Those experts don't participate in the decision-making. Okay, but surely if you just randomly select people... What if, for example, they don't have enough experience or what if they're just overwhelmed by how much responsibility they have? Do you think there's any problems with this idea? Yeah, so uh, the the experience one is interesting. There's a kind of a myth that if you win an election, therefore you are 
experienced in making uh, laws or something. And I think that's completely uh, not true, really. If you win okay. elections, it means that you're good at winning elections. Uh, it means you may be charismatic, you may be a good orator. And I think um, political decisions, to me, are always, in essence, kind of a moral decision. How do you allocate finite resources between competing demands? And I don't think... I don't think it's a technocratic exercise. So I don't think having uh, expertise per se is a is a good um, a precondition to participating in political discussions. Uh, of course, what they do in a citizens' assembly is you get a whole broad array of experts and stakeholders present to the people and say, this is what we think you should do. So you do, in some sense, uh, give the participants access to information uh, to try to make sure that they're, they're not basing their decisions on completely wrong uh, facts, etc. In terms of being overwhelmed by a responsibility, at the moment, to participate in the Citizens' Assembly is voluntary. So we send out, say, 10,000 letters, mm-hmm. and we get a certain per- small percentage of those that respond, and then we select the, the actual sample to be demographically representative. So those people have already volunteered their time. Um, there is obviously some skewing in that in that registration. We, we get more highly educated people mm-hmm. who respond to the original invitation, so the second step, random selection, actually corrects that skewing to make sure that it is actually not dominated by university-educated people, for example. Um, but the people who come in uh, often walk out amazed and impressed uh, by their experience. That they take the they take on the responsibility, they take on the learning, they take it very seriously. They work well together and try to come up with the best decision that's not just a sort of short-term interest decision or it's not just what would be good for me because the act of deliberating, of actually having to justify your opinion to people makes people come to a, a sort of deeper understanding of the, the sort of moral issues involved. Okay. Have there been any modern attempts already? Because you mentioned that in Athens in the past they used this method of sortition. Has there been any modern attempt of this and how successful has it been? Yes, many, hundreds, hundreds. So the the UK just finished uh, a climate assembly um, sponsored by six parliamentary committees in the House of Commons. So that finished uh, just recently and that's uh, coming out soon. Uh, In Scotland, there's a citizens' assembly on the future of Scotland, which will be looking at sort of post-Brexit, what should Scotland do? That's in process right now. And the Scottish Parliament have also launched... um, uh, are about to start a citizens' assembly on climate change, uh, probably in October, November this year. Uh, President Macron in France held a citizens' convention on climate as well. That was kind of a direct response to the the yellow vest uh, protests about how should society deal with. Uh, climate change because of course they proposed an increase in fuel tax and that led to yeah. massive protests. So he said, well, why don't we randomly select a representative bunch of people and let them decide? Um, and okay. his response, his responded very well to that. There's an OECD study, uh, the Deliberative Wave, which you can find on the OECD website, which details, I think, approximately 300 such events in the last few years. Okay. And so they're seeing this this steep increase in the number of events where you randomly select people and bring them together. There are small examples in the US. There are many, many examples in Canada. There's a few in uh, Brazil, um, all over the world. In Korea, in Japan, they're using it. Uh, In Australia, there's 20 or 30 examples. It's really um, 
a, a worldwide sort of movement, if you like. Okay, I was unaware that it was um, this commonly used, which is really good to hear. But you mentioned that a lot of these citizenship assemblies are focused on issues such as climate change. But do you think on a large scale, for example, if we want to deal with Brexit in the UK, do you think that this sort of sortition would still be helpful? Yeah, I think the more complex the issue, the better in a sense. I mean, if you apply a referendum to a complex issue, you reduce it to a yes/no, and it, it's really not. Uh, it's really a, a bad device, if you like. Um, whereas this sort of deliberative forum, where there are trade-offs, uh, there are every, every decision will have positives and negatives, and each decision will impact other areas. That's precisely what these kind of long-form deliberative events are about. They typically last for at least three days, sometimes up to eight, ten, twelve days. Um, I mean, the famous example is in Ireland when they talked about the constitutional ban on abortion, which led to the referendum that overturned that constitutional ban. Um, they, they spoke about the issue, I think, for seven, eight days with 100 people, and they could really get to the sort of ethical crux and really then decide on, on what they think um, should happen. So the more complex, um, the, the better in a sense. And the fact that there's been a few recent ones on climate change, um, that's quite new Previously, they've been on a wide array of topics. You know, um, how should you redevelop this area? How should you um, reduce congestion in this area? How should should there be a nuclear waste dump in South Australia, for example? Um, in the South Korea, they talked about should they restart a nuclear power reactor in the in the wake of Fukushima, etc. Um, so the the complexity they're ideally designed for complex issues. So to me. They could apply to any issue, essentially. Um, okay. Yeah, if we'd had a citizens' assembly before Brexit, mm -hmm. I think it could have profoundly affected how people voted because if they saw what a randomly selected representative sample of people thought about that, that might have swayed a large number of people in how they voted. Yeah, and it would have reduced some information gaps, I think, yeah, as well. It, for sure, yes. I mean, this informational ignorance and, I mean, the fact that, yeah, I mean, let's not start about Brexit. <laughs> um, I mean, most people, I think, weren't voting for the question on the ballot paper. Let's put it that way. Yeah, okay. Um, so I was thinking, in the UK, the UK is relatively small, so um, something like this would be easy to apply, especially in America because they, they're run by like, different states. How do you think this yes. idea would work in that context? Because it's a much larger context. Yes, sure, sure. So um, there was a very impressive event recently called America in One Room. Uh, this was a, largely an academic exercise, but they brought a randomly selected representative sample of 500 Americans together for, um, I can't remember exactly how long it was, and, and they made sure that they had, you know, the, the number of Republicans, the number of Democrats, the number of independents all in the room to, to match the sort of political layout of America. And you see the same things happen, essentially. These people face-to-face -face, deliberating with each other and coming to a sort of more um, empathetic understanding of the other people's views are like, uh, they'd come out going, wow, yeah, why are we so divided? Why don't we have these things more often? Because, yeah. of course, you know, I mean, the, the, the promise of the internet, I think, of sort of opening up society has, has failed. And actually, if anything, it's sort of closing down society and, and making society more kind of, um, you know, uh, cocooned or into pockets or something. So 
bringing these people face to face has this really profound effect. So I don't see any reason why it couldn't happen on any scale, really. Um, to, to argue that it couldn't happen in a large country would be the same as arguing that a legal jury couldn't happen in a large country because it's the same sort of principle. Yeah. You're randomly selecting a small bunch of people to be in an informed, deliberative environment and the the hope is that that bunch of people would make the same decision that any randomly selected bunch of people would make. Yeah. And so that does not matter on the size of the country, for example. Okay. So I was, I was just interested in exactly... So you mentioned that there's two stages to choosing the group of people. Um, how yeah. often would they be replaced and would people be chosen more than once? Yeah. So at the moment, uh, the citizens' assemblies are just one-off events. So. Oh, okay. These people are selected, they meet for, say, four weekends, and then they go away. And the next Citizens' Assembly, you choose other people. Mm -hmm. um, if you actually institutionalised a Citizens' Assembly and made it like a permanent part of uh, our democracy, for example, in the UK, say we replaced the House of Lords with yeah. a permanent Citizens' Assembly. So there was a, a group of 500 randomly selected representative sample of people who had to debate every piece of UK legislation then how would you do that? That's a really interesting question. Um, I would propose something like they serve for one or two years, perhaps, because, of course, you have to take two years of your life out of your real life and to be able to get back to your life. Yeah. And then perhaps replace, I don't know, a third of them a third of the time or a half of them, you know, halfway through. So you have a bit of continuity and a bit of uh, new people coming in. So okay. something like one or two times, I would pay them perhaps two or three times the average wage so that for the, the vast majority of the people it would be a really profitable two mm. years. And so people would say, yeah, I'm going to do that because I'm going to mm. come away with you know hundreds of thousands of pounds for two years. Um, and then, yeah, of, of course the process is really important. Who selects the experts? Who facilitates the discussions? I mean, all these sort of technical questions are really important. The, the, the good thing is that we have a lot of experience now and we know how to do it well and we know how to uh, review these systems and make sure that they are actually unbiased or as, as less biased as possible. Okay. So talking about the Sortition Foundation, um, could you tell us a little bit more about how it was founded and um, what you do? Yep. We were a bunch of friends in a cafe in London um, a few years ago. Okay. And complaining about how uh, our democracy seemed to be broken and not working very well. And we'd all heard about this idea of randomly selecting people and bringing them together in citizens' assemblies, but we couldn't find... We didn't see an organisation that was sort of specifically promoting that as an alternative um, to, to our sort of broken electoral de uh, democracy. So we set up the Sortition Foundation. Um, we started asking for members to try to raise funds, and we now have uh, a bit of a membership base. And so anyone listening to this, you're more than welcome to go to the sortitionfoundation.org and sign up to become a member. And then we start, and then we realised also that no one in the UK was actually well equipped to do the actual random selection of participants for this. And so that's now become um, one of our... Uh, large parts of our um, organisation is that we do the random selection in as transparent way as possible to select people for these citizens' assemblies. And so we've selected people for citizens' assemblies in Cambridge, we're doing one in Brighton, in Dudley, in Test Valley, in Scotland multiple times, in Wales a couple of times, um, you know, all over the UK more or less uh, we've been 
doing that. So now, as an organization, we have several part-time staff and we are developing campaign plans to actually try to replace, for example, the House of Lords with a, with a permanent citizens' assembly or something like that. Okay, that sounds really great. So I think that's all my questions that I had. Um, thank you very much for um, participating in the podcast today. And um, it's quite an interesting idea, um, which I've never actually thought of before, to replace Parliament with just um, a representative group of people. So, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Sanjana. Most people wouldn't uh, want to see, say, the House of Commons replaced, of course. People yeah. are very tied to their electoral rights. That's why uh, we think, for example, the House of Lords is actually uh, would be a, a place that's ripe for this kind of change. Okay. But yeah, thanks. Thanks very much for chatting. Thank you. So that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I hope you have enjoyed listening to our guest speaker today. Be sure to follow the Instagram at EFY Podcast and I hope you enjoyed listening to our discussion.